So for the last couple weeks, I have been productively troubled. As a term that a mentor of mine used, he talked about it as a time when the status quo of our life was upset, but in a productive way, in a good way. And I feel like God has been doing that in me. The last couple weeks, if you remember, uh, four weeks ago now, we had this sermon built together, talked about how we are living stones. Because Jesus is the living stone, the capstone, because of him we are being built up into a spiritual house, that we are the living stones being built into a church. And then after that, we talked some, we, I was drawn by the Holy Spirit to the book of Haggai, where God is speaking to the remnant who had returned from exile to Jerusalem, to Israel. And God was speaking to them and calling them to rebuild his temple, to, to uh, reprioritize their lives and, and focus on his work. And I heard God saying to us to set the circus down, set the circus of our lives or the elements of our lives that are circus-like to set them down, that we can reprioritize God. Then last week we said, uh, are we looking again further in Haggai, where he says to continue the work. He encourages the people of God. And so I heard God saying to us, so let's work. So the thing is, I want to see revival in our community. I want to see our friends and our neighbors realize who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and for their lives to be changed. I want to see this church being built up of living stones people's lives. Gathered together, people, more and more people following Jesus, and more and more people following Jesus more faithfully. This is what I desire to see. Not only that, but I desire to to see more of God's glory here among us. And this morning already, I feel like I'm catching a glimpse of it with the stories from Lyft that Lynn shared and the stories from the garden that Judy shared. Now we want to see more of God's peace here the fullness of God's peace, his shalom, his wholeness, the prosperity that comes with that. I've been thinking about this week, how many of you are productively troubled too over these last few weeks? Some of you left here two weeks ago after the sermon about setting your your circus down and feeling challenged, convicted, to reprioritize God near the top of your life again. Some of you left last week and were encouraged When you heard the word of God saying, be strong, continue the work even when it's difficult to continue on. If you're feeling these things, then you too are productively troubled. And I want to encourage you. This is the best place. This is the perfect place for the Holy Spirit to work in you, to work in our church. For us to see amazing new fruit of God's kingdom grow right here among us. Some of you have missed the last few weeks. Some of you have been away or just here visiting today. And maybe you're uh, hearing this uh, for the first part. And I want to encourage you that if you are just hearing this, to go back and listen to the previous two weeks of this series, All In. Now, you can do that, on your, uh, you can do that on, on, online if you go to the website. And I put it right here at the bottom on the back of your bulletins. There's the web address. It tells you exactly how to get to the sermons. Uh, so that you can hear what God has been doing, what we have been focused on for the last few weeks as a church. I say this because if you're visiting this morning, I think God will say good things to you about your own life or even the church where you uh, attend back home. But if you are a part of this church and you've missed the last few weeks, I want you to listen to those sermons and catch up because I think God is doing something here among us. And so I want you to go and listen. 
so you can be a part of this conversation as we watch for God and where he is at work among us. Some of you are maybe here this morning and you're not sure you're convinced yet. You've heard all the sermons. You've heard the call to set our circus down. You've heard the call to let's get to work. And you're still not convinced. Maybe life is just too comfortable right now. You've worked hard and life is comfy and you don't want to mess that up. Or maybe you're still really busy and you haven't even had time to think about this. This morning I want you to listen. Listen to this and see how God is going to respond when we are faithful. When we stay strong, continue the work. I want you to see how God responds. Listen to this morning and see what you think. And then also some of you are here this morning and you are all in. The last few weeks have been speaking to you. You have taken the time to honestly ask God to look at your week and ask God to help you reprioritize. Or you were encouraged and you too want to stay strong even when the work is hard or when it's thankless or when the fruit is slow in coming. And yet you still want to work. You want to see God's kingdom grow here. You're ready to listen and you want to hear how God is going to work among us. Because that's essentially the question that we all have. Regardless of where we come from this morning, we come, and one of the questions we have is, if I am faithful, how is God going to respond? What will God do? What will it look like? What can we expect? How is God going to take the sacrifices of our time and our money and the talents that we have? How is God going to take that and grow his kingdom? What's going to come of this? It's a real question. A real question that most of us ask. And if you're not asking, you may have to ask why. Why aren't you curious about what God is going to do? Now for me, I want to follow Jesus, and many of you I know this is the same. I want to follow Jesus because of who he is. But I have to be honest, I also want to know what he's going to do. I want to see God grow his kingdom. And he speaks to that this morning. Now, this isn't that we aren't the first group who've asked, you know, if I'm faithful, if I do this, how will God respond? We're not the first to ask that. I would not be surprised if the people in 520 BC, that group who had returned from exile, if they too were asking, God, if we are faithful and we build your temple, how are you going to respond? What are you going to do? What can we expect from you? I wouldn't be surprised if they were asking the same question. And the church has been asking this question for centuries. Lord, if we're faithful, what will it look like? How will you respond? If we stay strong and if we continue the work of your kingdom, what will you do? Well, this morning, I want to start by reading Haggai chapter 2, verse 1 to 9. If you want to open up your Bibles to Haggai, it's in the Minor Prophets. If you open towards the center and go to the left, or it's also in the bulletin here this morning, the text. So just to give you a bit of update or just to catch you up if you haven't been here the last couple weeks, Haggai is one of the prophets, one of the minor prophets. He's writing in the year 520 B.C. He's writing to a group of Jews who had returned from exile in modern-day Iraq or Babylon. Uh, they had returned to their homeland after being taken out, after they had been uh, defeated by the Babylonians. They had returned home. And they had started uh, building their civilization again. 
And by a decree of the King Cyrus, they had been given permission to rebuild their temple. And so they were rebuilding the temple, but then after a short time fizzled out and all the construction stopped. Part of it's because life was hard in Jerusalem as they are in Judah as they had returned. I mean, the ground was hard. It was slow in producing their food. And God speaks to that in, in, this, in this, uh, the book of Haggai as well. But also, too, they'd been harassed by the neighboring nations around them. It was difficult. But not so difficult that they hadn't done well for their own homes. If you remember two weeks ago in Haggai chapter 1, God is saying, your homes are paneled and look beautiful, and yet my home remains in ruins. So chapter 1 was a challenge. Chapter 1 is essentially the first message that God spoke through the prophet Haggai, and he sent it to this people. And he challenged them. He convicted them. Your priorities are messed up. Your stuff, I understand it's hard, but it's hard because you are not focusing on my priorities. Then last week we got to chapter 2, and we had uh, this whole portion right here, verses 1 to 9, and we focused mainly on uh, verses 1 to 5. This morning we're going to focus on verses 6 to 9. But let's read this whole thing together. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out, from, uh, when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of the present house, of this present house, will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Let's pray that we would hear God's word this morning. Lord God, we thank you for your word, even when it's challenging. We praise you for the things you have spoken through the prophet Haggai. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to hear it this morning. Amen. So, begins in chapter, or sorry, in verse 6. It says, In a little while, once more, I'll shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Now, this is the Hebrew way of saying, when he says the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, this the Hebrew way of saying he's going to shake everything from top to bottom, from east to west. From whether it's dry land or, or sea and everything in between, he's going to shake it. Now, this is the thing that, that God is going to, uh, this is the Hebrew way of also saying how God is powerful that we know that God is a sovereign, that he is the one who has created. And I loved how uh, Eugene Peterson wrote this in the message. He said, God is going to shake up creation and he's going to shake down the nations. It says here that it will come. The nations, I say, I will shake all the nations and the desired of nations will come. And I wanted to focus in on the word uh, desired. What, is they, what are they talking about? What is the desired of nations? 
I think in the one sense, actually in Hebrew, the word here is, has this context or this uh, connotation of being a treasure. It's like saying that the treasure of the nations will come. They will be awestruck by the Lord God. And people will bring their wealth like they did in the ancient days when they would bring it to honor a king. The nations will bring their wealth. Now it's interesting because that's what nations do. They gather wealth. But here's the thing. nation, One nation gathers it from the nation previous. It's like kings hoard and scrape and cheat and lie to gather all they can for their nation. And then their nation falls and they pass it on to the next and to the next and to the next. Until ultimately it's God who receives it. It says in verse 8, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Ultimately, everything belongs to the Lord. And the nations fool themselves when they think, oh, I've amassed my army or my wealth. I am powerful. They fool themselves because it all belongs to the Lord God. They are there because he has placed them there. So the treasures of the, of the earth, the treasures of the nations will come to God. And it's interesting, I couldn't help but think this last week that already we are beginning to see this. And I was thinking about it in terms of one of the treasures of a nation is their people. Now this is, again, a devotion. I'm not sure if this is what Haggai meant, but I see God applying it this way in our world right now. That the treasure of the nation, its people, are coming into the house of God. I think about this as I think about the growth of the church in China or the growth of the church in India or the growth of the church in places like Brazil. The church is growing in these places in unprecedented ways. The treasure of nations is coming in to the spiritual house of God and to the church. Already we're catching a glimpse of this. So I hear this morning that God is going to shake up the status quo. He's going to shake up creation and shake down the nations. Now this is difficult because the status quo is comfortable. And surprisingly, sometimes uh, we get the use of status quo. Even as bad as it is, we get used to it. As difficult as things are or as horrible as it seems, it's almost like because we're used to it, we're afraid to lose it. I think there's that saying, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to get it right, but the, the devil you know is better than the one you don't. Essentially saying that the troubles that you're used to are more comfortable than the ones you don't expect. And so that keeps people from changing, keeps people from doing uh, difficult things or even following God sometimes. Because it may be bad, but at least we know what it's like. At least we know what to expect. I was thinking about that uh, in terms of... Uh, the fish tank in our house. For Corbin's birthday this year, he got a fish tank. And um, as we were starting to get the thing ready for fish, over time, the water gets murky. You know, at first when Tracy filled it with water and then got it ready for the fish, you know, the fish swim around and it's clear, the fish love it. But each day it gets just a little bit greener, a little bit harder to see through, a bit murkier. Each day, just a little bit more, a little bit more. The fish don't care. They don't even notice it. I don't know if they do or not. And even we, like it's, it's the next day to, day to day, you don't really notice it. But then you look at it, what it, you know what it's supposed to look like, and then two weeks later you think, whoa, this tank needs to be cleaned. I think that happens in society around us too. Our society is pretty murky right now. Sin, uh, 
the things that were once described and talked about as sinful are not anymore. Actually, they're celebrated. People clap and cheer. Our society is murky. And I believe one day God is coming to upset the status quo. That he will clear the water again. He will clarify things again. And the things that please God will be clear. And the things that don't will be clear. And we'll know how to follow him. In this first part of this passage, I hear God saying he's going to shake things up. He's going to shake up the, shake up the creation and shake down the nations. They will bring their treasure, their people into the kingdom. God is already doing this. And I think about this and it says too, he says not only is he going to shake things up, but he's also going to fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Now, I want to focus in on the word glory here. The word glory is, in Hebrew, it's kavod. Um, but it's interesting because in some texts, they translate this not as glory, but as splendor, saying that God will fill this, this house with splendor. And it makes sense because this comes right after he talked about the wealth or the desire of the nations coming in. And so maybe it is, maybe it is this God is going to make this temple that this, this ragtag group, this group of returned exile, they were trying to build on a shoestring budget. Maybe he's going to fill it with splendor that they couldn't even imagine. But I can't help but hear something different. In the Old Testament, when God talked about his glory, his kavod, it was often linked with the glory of the Lord, the presence of God the pillar of smoke that went before the people when they left Egypt. It went as a pillar of smoke during the day and a pillar of fire at night, the presence of God. That God fills his temple with his presence, with his glory. See, that's the thing. We look at temples today from our point of view, from human point of view. We think of temples as a place where humans go to praise, to sing songs or to praise God. But in the ancient world, a temple was not the place for humans to go praise, though it did that, but it was more like a cottage or a home away from home for gods when they weren't in heaven. The temple was a place for God to dwell on earth. It was the epicenter. It was like the control room of the entire earth, of all of creation. That's what the temple is. And so God bringing his glory there, I think my money is... And he's not saying he's going to fill it with gold and silver, but actually he's going to fill the temple with his presence, with his glory, which is more important than gold and silver anyways. And I hear God speaking to us, his church. I continue to hear God saying to us, build. Build his church here. Build his spiritual house made up of living stones. That's the work I hear God calling us, this church, to right now. We're not building a temple out of marble blocks. We are called to cultivate, to build a, living, a spiritual house made of living stones, people's lives, whether it's through ladies gathering for breakfast here or kids coming to work in the garden or kids coming to learn about camping skills beyond the bell or the, all the other different ways that we encourage our community, living stones, people to know and follow Jesus. God wants to fill this place with his glory. I see that in more and more people following Jesus here and more and more people following Jesus more faithfully here. 
not just in terms of breadth and more people gathering here, but also in terms of depth. That those of us who have been following Jesus for a while, that we follow him even more faithfully. That we follow him even when it's, even when it's difficult. That we continue to learn about Jesus and become more like him. I love reading this passage of Haggai. I'm excited. This is, I hear God speaking to us and to our church. I hear him talking about building up a spiritual house made of living stones. And it made me think this week, Walter and I, on Wednesdays, we gather for prayer at about 8.30 if anybody ever wants to join us. We pray for our church. We pray for our community. And Walter was sharing again the story of how it went when this place was built. I could see the smile on his face as he talked about how rewarding it was, how glorious it was, how wonderful it was to have all the people gathered here people from our community, people from our church family, just here working. And he was talking about how fast everything went. I think it was five months, right? Five months, this place, built not in the heat of summer, but in the depth of winter. Five months, this place was built, and we had, actually, we, this church had the first uh, uh, Easter service here in April. Those of you who were part of the build, I've heard the stories of how great it was. That's the glory of God. And I hear God continuing to call us to keep building, not to build another structure or to build a new church somewhere, but to build a spiritual house here made of living stones, people's lives. That's the work I hear God calling us to these last few weeks through Haggai, to keep building. You, many of you, are amazing builders, come with trades and expertise, God is calling us to keep building, building a spiritual house. Because this is what we long for. This is what we desire to see. This place filled with people knowing Jesus, following him and seeing him change their lives. We desire to see not only people's lives change, but our community transformed. This is what we desire to see. We want more of God's glory here in this place, more of his presence here. But God doesn't stop there. He says, not only will I fill this house with glory, he says, and in this place I will grant peace, in verse 9. I will grant peace. Now in the English, we get peace. We think of peace as the absence of war. I heard a couple people even praying and talking about it this morning, how, what a wonderful place this is. Pauline, I heard you as you prayed. Like what an amazing, beautiful place God has created here and how peaceful it is here well out of the way of major travel routes, it's hard to get here. And so we live in this beautiful place. There's never been an open war here. It's just peace, beautiful sun, sometimes low clouds, which is not so great. But other than that, this amazing place where we live, it's peaceful here. There is no war. And we also think of peace, we think of serene, quiet, calm, and that's the English understanding of the word peace. But the word behind this, actually in Hebrew, is the word shalom. And it includes all of that. Shalom includes all of that, the absence of war and strife and conflict. But it also includes the idea of wholeness, of being complete, of thriving, of prospering, of relationships where not only have people sort of agreed to disagree, but actually relationships that are made whole and well and healthy again. God will give this sort of peace 
in this church family, in this community, if we will continue to stay strong, keep working when the work is hard and thankless and the fruit is slow in coming, God will bring his peace. When I think of shalom, the image of shalom, I think of people having plenty of good food to eat, amazing food, having actually an abundance, and not just throwing it in the garbage, but actually sharing it with others. That's shalom. Having plenty, having so much also, but you also share with others. I think of shalom as having good work to do, work that you love to do, not that you're trying to clamor and, and greedily grab more money, but you love the work that you do and the, the excess that you have from that, you share with others. I think of shalom in terms of health physically, that diseases and sicknesses decline until they're gone. I think of shalom in the sense of relationships, like we talked about already, relationships made right, marriages that were struggling brought together, Families that had cracks and fractures made whole. Children cared for. I think about a church family where relationships are good. Even the the difficult uh, personality conflicts, those things dissipate. And this becomes a place where we love each other even more. I think about shalom in terms of our community. The people around us who are addicted who are alone, who wander through life aimlessly. They are brought into community where they're cared for, where they can participate. They're set free from addiction and they're given purpose and hope. When I think of Shalom, these are the things that I think of. And God said he's going to give more of this here in this place. I was thinking about it this week as uh, Lyft, as an example of Shalom. The ladies gathered around here, around, around tables, sharing a meal together, encouraging one another. I think about the work, the sacrifice that many of you ladies made so that you could be a blessing to others. How stressful it is and the amount of work it takes in the weeks, the days leading up to it, so that you can provide this, this sanctuary place for other women of our community. It is exactly what we talk about, gathering together with people from our community around a table, sharing a meal together, doing it on behalf of the whole church so that people, those ladies, when they come here, they know that there's, there's no ambiguity. They know that, that this is happening here at this church because we care for them. We care about our community. Those are examples of shalom. And I hear God saying that if we will stay strong, if we will continue to work when it's hard or thankless or when the fruit is slow in coming, then not only will he give his presence, will his more of his presence be here, but he will give shalom, peace. Now, I know I'm saying this, and maybe I'm overstating this, because it's thin on the ground here. And so in the one sense, this is happening now, but also in another sense, this is we are waiting for this to be fulfilled completely. I mean, I'm painting a pretty rosy picture, and you don't have to be too long out there to realize that it's not so rosy out there. So in one sense, we see glimpses of it now, but also we wait for Christ's return when he will fulfill this completely. Haggai spoke these words in 520 B.C., speaking to the people of God, 
sharing with them about what God would do, about how he would bring his glory, how the nations, how the wealth of the nations would come in, how he would bring peace. That was 2,500 years ago. And still today, we hear about it now and we see glimpses of it, but we also realize that it's not fully happened. We wait for Christ's return. There is an element of this passage that looks forward to the day that Jesus returns. Now, regardless of what you think about world events in this country and that country, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are meant to expect. We are meant to look forward to anticipate his return. Jesus' disciples, the people who were following him on the days that he walked the earth, they, he taught them to look forward to his return. They expected it in their lifetime. They are an example for us. We are continuing to expect Christ's return, to live as though he may return this afternoon. To live expectantly, to watch for Christ's return. That shapes the way we live today. So if we will stay strong, and if we will continue working, we will see God shape creation. We'll see him fill this place with even more glory. We'll see him bring even more shalom to our lives and to the lives of our community. We'll see God do this. So some of you might be asking, hey, Jason, I hear what God is going to do, so what do we do with this? Well, on the one hand, the whole focus of the passage this morning was on what God is going to do. Answering that question, if we are faithful, what is God going to do? And we just spelled it out. We just walked through the text and heard what God is going to do, how he's going to fill the place with glory and bring peace. But that doesn't mean that we're off the hook. That doesn't mean that we just sit back and fold our arms and wait. Because this passage that we've been working through, Haggai chapter six, sorry, chapter 2, verse 6 to 9, follows right after verses 1 to 5, where God says, um, be strong, be strong and work. That's the word that we have for us this week, is to continue to stay strong and work. But I also wanted to add this. Well, first, it's to stay strong, to work, and I wanted to add this this morning, and watch. Stay strong, work, and watch. Not only watch for the day when Christ turned to look forward to the future when Christ comes and makes all things new, look forward to that, but also to watch in our lives right now, to catch glimpses of God's glory and his peace now. Because it's happening. The kingdom of God is breaking in. Sometimes it's in subtle ways that are hard to see, but it is happening. If only we'll have the eyes to see. Already, as we talked about this morning, we see the treasure of nations coming in. It's people coming into the church, coming into this spiritual house of God. Already we see glory of God, his presence here among us, and we desire to see it more. Already we see, we catch glimpses of God's peace among us. Not just serenity and, and, and blankly staring out at the, at the water, but fullness, completeness in, God's li- or in people's lives. People's lives being changed. People's lives being transformed by Jesus and what he's done for them. We desire to see God's peace. Imagine what this looks like in us. 
This is one of my greatest desires for us as a church, to continue working even when it's difficult, to stay strong, and to watch for Christ's glory and his peace among us. It's one of my desires to see revival among us, our friends and our neighbors realizing who Jesus is and following here. I desire to following him. I desire to see more and more people following Jesus, and I desire to see more and more of us following Jesus more faithfully. That not only would our faith be growing in terms of people gathered here, but also in terms of its depth, that each of us would become more Christ-like in our lives. And I see God doing this if we will continue to work, if we will stay strong, to work even when it's hard, to continue working even when it's thankless, when we go for a long time and nobody even seems to notice, to continue to work even when the fruit seems like it's slow and coming, that we would stay strong, work, and we keep watching. That's my desire for us. Amen.